open the word of the Lord to the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. We will pick up where we left off two weeks ago. We are focusing on verses 5 through 12. We had just laid a, an overview, and I'll kind of pick that up briefly. And then we'll start looking at uh, the highlights of this text. I would ask that you would bow your heads with me as we would pray. And then we will read verses 5 through 12 with the word of the Lord. Father, let us draw near to the cross and take rest there. Let us be consumed with your presence and the privilege that you have given each of us. And that, Father, that we may, we beg you, we would walk in a manner worthy of this terrific privilege and calling. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear, not of humans, but ears to hear of you, from you, through you. Father, even knowing that we are here for such a day, for such a time, Father, may we drink deep you, overwhelmed by you, invaded by you, that we, Father, called by your name, would be about your work, Father, the way that you would have us work. To your glory and praise, in Christ's name, amen. This is a fascinating text as we're concluding this letter. But I want to read this because uh, sometimes this is one of those that you just read it and think, well, I'm glad that was there. Um, Verse 5. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, For I hope to remain with you some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. A wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him. But send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Now concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. This is a fascinating text. I mean, you could almost read it and, and, and... you kind of back away from it and think, well, this is peachy. Okay, I mean, it's almost like when I travel out of the country, people will call Stephanie, the secretary, and say, okay, well, where is he at right now, and when is he going to be here, and when is he going to be here, and things like that. And that's almost what this text looks like. But the key to understanding this is it's sandwiched. Okay, chapter 15, verse 40, 58, and then you look down there at the end of verse 10, and you see the sandwich that takes place. Okay, verse 58, therefore, in summarizing the resurrection, 
My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. End of verse 10. Timothy was doing what? The Lord's work. So when you sandwich this in there and in understanding that giving is part of that, then you see it doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. Okay, uh, I believe that the church in America right now is in a time of crisis. And the reason is, I, I, I believe a lot of people want to do the Lord's work. But that's as far as it goes. I'm not sure that they're doing it the Lord's way. Wait a minute. I am positive they're not doing it the Lord's way. And here's the reason that I can say that. When you look at this text and, and you see there, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. The work of the Lord there, the term that is used there, is working to the point of exhaustion. I don't see that. I heard a guy who did six worship services on Easter and he preached for three hours. Figure it out. Okay. All right. And he told me how exhausted he was. You know what? If you're doing it in your strength, you will be exhausted. If you're doing it in the Lord's strength, you will not be exhausted. He said, you know, I, I, I preached for three hours in six services. If I preach six services, yeah, never mind. <laughs> that, that may not be a good illustration. <laughs> but I have uh, at times when I'm teaching in Russia, I teach for eight or nine hours in the day. And then they want you to preach everywhere. Um, I'll give you, for instance, my last trip there, uh, we went back to Zeminfka, and they asked me to preach on Wednesday night. Um, I was teaching the book of 1 Corinthians during the day. We've been eight years in the book. All right, and they wanted me to teach it in five days. All right, and so I was teaching for nine hours a day. I left... And went to Zeminfka Wednesday night. I preached a sermon and then answered questions for three hours. And I thought, well, you know, they've got some American in here. That's what they normally do. Because, see, they understand that the fellowship of the saints, these are the eternal people. I want to hang out with these people because I know what the other ones are. But I read this and I think about doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way. One of the things I've learned is that it will take toil. It will take work. It will labor. You will expend energy to the point of exhaustion. Remember last week or two weeks ago, Philippians chapter 2 verse 30, Epaphroditus had labored almost to the point of death. Okay? But yet, I want you to ask yourself a question. The things do you do for the Lord, do you do them in vain? 
The simplicity is this, and I laid this out last week, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, is what is the Lord's work? What? I, I mean, that's the question. I mean, I, I don't want to use that illustration. Never mind. Uh, I'll get in trouble again. But when you think about what is the Lord's work, you've got to ask yourself some serious questions. What is it? And so I know I'm a little on the simple side. The simple side says, if I want to know what the Lord's work was, what did the Lord do when he was here? Seems odd. Well, in Luke 19, he says, I have come to seek that that is lost. So it would be evangelism. All right, I'm in on that because that's the only thing we can do here better than we can do anything else in heaven. It's just tough to reach lost people in heaven. Okay, I know you say it's tough to reach lost people in Castle Rock. But anyway, uh, but what I'm trying to get at you, that is that should be part of what you're doing. The second part of it comes out of Acts 1 is is equipping the saints, edifying the saints, strengthening the saints for what evangelism. So that you draw more people into the kingdom and then you do what? Grow them in the faith. And you draw more people into the kingdom and you do what? Grow them in the faith. You know what? How do you do that? It's discipleship. It's not mentoring. It's not accountability groups. It is discipleship. It is investing in lives. It is walking shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm with a bunch of people sometimes who don't want to walk. Sometimes you have to carry them. Sometimes you even have to drag them. But it takes work. It takes effort. And the thing that I think that, that I believe that we're missing today is when you are in the Lord's work, who's inspecting the work? The Lord is. 1 Corinthians 3, we've already looked at it. We looked at it in depth many years ago. Are you building with wood, hay, or stubble? Or are you building with gold, silver, and precious stone? Because through the fires it will be exposed. You know, how many of us, uh, there's a group of us that have been in this church for a long time. How many of you have, uh, have we seen come and go? I mean, we would have this massive huge group of people if 50% of them stayed. But they don't stay. Why? Well, you can take the parable of the four soils. You can take that we're in the time of the apostasy. You can take anything else you want to throw at it. But for the most part, you know, I was reading you guys surveys today, this morning in our Sunday school class, 50% of people, 50% of evangelical believe that the Bible is the authoritative, authentic Word of God. That same group believes that the same principles are taught in the Koran and the Book of Mormon. What? How do we do that? Well, it will stand up to inspection. I shared with you 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Be diligent to prove yourself, approve, show yourself a worker approved by God. How? By rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay. You know what's neat about that letter? That's to every Christian. I mean, if you look at 2 Timothy, you know, I know everybody says, well, these are pastoral epistles. Nowhere in there are you going to find that term. 
Okay, Second Timothy is dealing with discipleship. And if you're going to disciple somebody, guess what? You probably ought to have some information that they can use. And I hear a lot of information out there that is absolutely useless. Okay, I, I see today a lot of activity without productivity. It doesn't stand up to the word of God. It doesn't stand up to the t- fire test. Okay, listen, do you realize that you and I have all been given a task? Every one of us. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care if you've been a Christian longer than I am old. I don't care if you're a newborn Christian. You have a task. You have a task. William Barclay said it this way, quote, There is no honor like the honor of a high calling, and there is no dignity like the dignity of a great task. Unquote. Now you think about that. You have a task. You have a task to invest in souls and to redeem souls. Is there any higher calling? And and again, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your social background. It doesn't matter your intellect. I remember sitting and listening to a guy dissertain or give a dissertation on how to parse Greek verbs to a bunch of Russian pastors. Most of them were bivocational and most of them had never read a Greek phrase in their life. And I thought, why are you sharing this with them? I don't understand that. I mean, it's great that you know it. But really, when you got these guys in the front line, you know, they were offended that there was a group of Baptists had rolled into town wanting them, wanting to teach them how to share the gospel. And I told the guy that, you know what, you need to sit down and listen how they share the gospel. Because these people, a lot of these guys did it under communisms and you could only go to prison. They used to have a pastors used to have a bag that they had overnight clothes and change underwear and socks sitting by the door. So the KGB came in and arrested them. They could grab that bag and go. Try that. We have a high calling, brothers and sisters, every single one of us. We have been given a responsibility to do the Lord's work. Okay? And we should want to do it the Lord's way. All right? In this text, there are six principles. Uh, This is a message of exhortation. Okay? Um, and, 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 I, and I, I go through this and I kind of look at it and I see these six that I've got on this outline and I, and I wonder about it. But the truth of the matter is, you can't do five out of six. Okay, but I'm, I'm positive you guys don't want me to preach all six points today. All right? You know, maybe you do. <laughs> crazy people. If I'm going to do the Lord's work, knowing that he's inspecting it, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. 
Okay. Paul tells us here in verse 58 that if you're doing the work of the Lord and you're toiling at it, know this, that it will not be fruitless. It will not be in vain. It will not be empty. So I should be doing it the way he says to do it. And the first thing that you see is that if you're going to do the Lord's work, the Lord's way has vision. Okay, look what he says here in verse 5. I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. Stop right there, okay? It is important. Okay, understanding what is the Lord's work? Evangelism and edification. All right. Anybody who's really at it. Okay. That's really doing the Lord's work, really working at it. There are those in this room who are sold out to what God's doing. You're going to find that they have a common thread and it is that their heart is so motivated and his his or her love is so consumed. They will be going to see the needs that hasn't touched yet. Where's the need that hasn't been met? Let me tell you something about the ministry. It is the single most frustrating thing you will ever step into. And yet it's non-negotiable. You don't get to say, well, I don't want to be in it. Because you never see it done. It's never complete. You're always looking at more. Your view expands. I remember when we started working on the Antioch Initiative, there was a group of us from all over the United States said this is what, instead of being reactive to what's happening in Russia, let's be proactive. Well, how do you do that? Teach the teachers. Train up men to train up men. Have them bring us their best, like Antioch, Syria, and we will give them our best, and we will send them out, and they will continue to expand the ministry. You know what's amazing about that? God has blessed our proverbial socks off with it. He has done abundantly, exceedingly abundantly beyond what I could have ever dreamed or imagined. And you know what? I never planned to go to Russia. I figured that we would just be a financial backing to some of this. I've been there six times. Then when I thought, well, I could go, the only thing I wanted to teach was Romans. Then all of a sudden I moved into 1 Corinthians and uh, maybe I'll teach that. I've taught Romans and 1 Corinthians. The first thing out of the chute was uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? I'd already taught that on Sunday nights. I never planned that. I'm not Slavic. I do not have a passion for the Russian people. I remember when they wanted me to hide under my desk under a nuclear attack from the Russians. I always thought that was kind of a dumb idea. (laughs) This thing's got the heat of the sun and you want me under a wood desk. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, But... uh, No, I don't have a special, but I do have a passion for the word of the Lord. The person who's doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way is so motivated. They are so consumed that consumed that they're always looking forward, even though they're laboring at wherever position that they're at. See, there's a vision in his or her heart and they're working right now, but they're looking for next. How do I fulfill this? How do I complete this? And what is lacking? 
What is lacking in the body of Christ? What is lacking that I can fulfill? What is lacking that I can put myself to a point of exhaustion? And, and they will be looking to what isn't being done. I get accused of this. Well, you're just so negative. Well, it ain't being done. But what isn't? I got a list. You want to see it? They're never satisfied. My wife will tell you, he's never satisfied. I'm content at what I'm doing, but I'm never satisfied. Only sees what isn't being done. Uh, Just a negative person. No, planning ahead. Plotting and planning. That's the way I look at it. It's plotting and planning. What was the Apostle Paul telling you here? I have a plan. I have a plan. Let me see if I can make this so specific for you. See, I know what Paul's plans are. I've been reading. Okay? First Corinthians was written by Paul at the almost the end of a three-year time span in Ephesus. In Ephesus. Okay? The letter, 1 Corinthians, was delivered by Timothy. But if you look, and if you're true to Scripture, what you'll find is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he says, In this confidence I am... <clears throat> In this confidence, I intended to first come to you so that he might twice receive a blessing. That is, to pass your way into Macedonia, again for Macedonia to come to you, and to you to be a help on my journey to Judea. Remember, the collection was for who? Okay, he's in Ephesus. He wants to take a ship over to Corinth, go from Corinth back up to the underbelly of Europe, and then back down to Jerusalem. That's his plan. Okay, he's planning. That's what he wanted to do. He was going to go to Corinth. He was actually hoping to follow put Timothy. And he want, then he was going to go to Macedonia and then... Back to Corinth with this plan that he was going to take this money from the churches in Macedonia back down. But he writes in 2 Corinthians and he reflects the original plan. Okay? But you'll find out that he changed the plan. Not him, but God. I will come to you when I have passed through Macedonia instead. Do you know what that means? I'm not coming to you first. Now think about the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth had some problems, right? I mean, you look at the first six chapters, he's just beating them ragged for their arrogance. Okay, and then in chapter 7, he deals with their problems. They were even to the point of abusing the Lord's table. Okay? I mean, he goes through it. I mean, they were actually perverting spiritual gifts. All right? They were, they were using, I want something to show off with. You ever thought about how arrogant that is? I'm going to use a spiritual gift and I'm going to show off with it. Oh, that's crazy. But that's what he's dealing with. So he starts think, rethinking this. He wanted to go to Corinth and up in the Macedonian down to Jerusalem. And he changed his mind. He says, you know what? If you look at verse six, he says, you know what? Perhaps I will spend the winter with you. You know what that means, right? This ain't going to be a quick fix. (laughs) I don't think I can do this in a long weekend. 
I don't think we can have like a, a Bible conference. Okay? I will come to you when I, he changes the pattern. He says, when I have gone through Macedonia, I'll take the collections from Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and then I'll come to you. Why? Because you're going to take a little work. So he had a change in plan. See, remember what he said in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 4, 18 and 19? You can see what his plan is. For this reason, verse 17, for this reason I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of the ways of Christ, which I teach everywhere in every church. Now, you have become, um, no, 18, yeah. Now you've become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. What? If the Lord wills. So you see, he's got a plan. He has a vision. This is what I'm going to do. Okay? Yeah, next week we'll look at it. He, you have to be flexible with your vision. But you understand, you have a vision. I look and see things that need to be done. I am trying to figure out how do we help Pastor Paul? How do we help him? I mean, we're giving him money, but he has a teaching uh, he can't teach all that has to be taught. How do we help him? I don't know yet. I don't know. Beats me. You never know. How do I help Pastor Philip in Punjab? You know, I'm starting to look right now at the things that we've done in Russia. And why don't we do those in... Burma. Why don't we do those in India? I mean, it's right there on the Pakistani border. Perfect. We can get Bin Laden saved. Listen, he needs saved. And you don't have to edit that. Maybe he'll download this. That'd be it. Listen, the Corinthian church was a hot spot of paganism. The Corinthian church had problems. The Corinthian church was in a desperate situation. What is the Lord's work again? Evangelize and edify. And Paul understood that. And Paul said, you know what, in verse 6, maybe I'll spend the winter with you. Why? Because it may take all winter to get this thing cleaned up. See, he's planning ahead with a view for the future. But look what he says. He says, I'm going to stay on here in Ephesus. Why? A great door of the Lord has been opened. There's tremendous opportunity. People are getting saved. People are being strengthened. And they are getting people saved. And the more are getting saved, the more people are getting strengthened. And it's just amazing to watch what God... And if you look at what happened in Ephesus, there were so many people coming to Jesus Christ, coming to the true and living God, that the idol makers were running out of business. Tell me it wasn't working. That's amazing. But he says this great door was open. But he was planning. And he's even planning farther than that. He was busy in Ephesus. Things were happening. And he was, he was watching saints grow. I cannot think of anything that's greater. 
You know, I see people say, well, you know, such and such got saved and such and such got saved and they get ecstatic about that. You know, and I cherish that. When, when, when a soul is reached out of the pit of hell, absolutely, that's a cool thing. But I tell you what, it is a greater thrill for me to watch a saint stand up and stand in the grace of Jesus Christ than any of the other. Because now that saint is in the position of replicating. And that's Katie bar the door. He's planning ahead. And yet, when he writes 1 Corinthians, and the truth of the matter is, it's uh, 2 Corinthians, and then there's 3rd and 4th Corinthians. We just, two letters we don't have. They were dandies. <laughs> I'm thinking they weren't God-breathed. But anyway, all the time he's totally lost in the work of what he's doing in Ephesus. He has, even when he's laboring to exhaustion, he has the ability to have a vision of what to do in Corinth, in Macedonia, all the way to Jerusalem. See, it's a view to him. Now, you've got to understand something with the Apostle Paul that's a little different than you and I today. He's playing churches where Christ has never been named. Okay? You think about that for a second. You've got to go in there, invest in people, and God's going to have to bring to you what leadership will rise up that you can see quickly so you can pour yourself into those individuals so that they will stand and they will continue on. Okay? And then you move on to the next one. That's some tough stuff there. That's why when you look at the book and his letters, you'll see that multiple times he was doing what? Going from house to house, teaching day in and day out. Anyone who does the work of the Lord, if you're going to do it the Lord's way, it's someone with a vision. And I'm not talking about seeing things. They're looking, they're strategizing, and they're plotting on how they're going to get this thing done. How? And if you think of, of Paul, listen, I, I seen a quote here and I forgot who said it, but it says, ne- quote, never saw a ship at anchor, but he wished to board it to carry the message of the good news to the people across the water, unquote. See, Paul's passion was to evangelize and edify. And he was never, ever satisfied. Now, look what I just showed you. What was his plan? I want to come to you, Corinth, and straighten out some of this. But I was going to go to you, straighten this out, and then go to Macedonia. You're going to find out later that he said, you know what? I need to spend a little more time, and it may take the winter. So I'm going to go to Macedonia first, and then... I'm going to go to Corinth, spend the winter, and then take the offering to Jerusalem. Okay? That sounds cool, doesn't it? What a plan. But look what else that he says. In the 15th chapter of the book of Romans. See, do you know when and where Paul was when he wrote Romans? Corinth. He's in Corinth. And he writes Romans. And here's what he says. <clears throat> Whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing as to help you as to be helped on my way there by you. When 
I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make contributions of the poor to the saints. You see what he's doing? The whole time that he's sitting here going, I need to help the saints in Corinth. I need to pick up this offering from the Greek peninsula so I can get it down to Jerusalem. What is his plan? He's got Spain on the brain. You know why? That's where the prime minister of the Roman Empire was from. Named Seneca. He was called the tutor of Nero. And he wanted to take the gospel to the prime minister. I know he did. Now he ends up in Rome, but it's not exactly the way he planned it. It was as a prisoner. He's laboring in Corinth at the writing of the letter to the Romans, and yet he's planning on going to Rome only long enough to get some supplies so that he can go on to Spain. See, he gave himself to the task, yet he's always looking to the future, doing what the Lord is doing. If you're doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way, you know what? Ministry is frustrating. You know, I heard a guy tell me one time, he says, being a pastor is the greatest job in the world if it wasn't for people. It's, you know what? I'd rather herd cats. It's easier. But I share that with you because you always have a view. You have this soul you're investing in and this soul you're investing in. Maybe this group here that you're investing in and you're drawing this thing here and yet you're looking where? Who else? Who else? Every single one of you in this room today has somebody in your life who does not know Jesus Christ or is deceived that they think they know Jesus Christ or is a Christian who is bound up in the things of the world and needs edification. Every one of you. You took one unbeliever and one struggling Christian. What would you do? What's your plan? I know. I'll pray for him. Brilliant. That's a good starting place. Okay, that got you through the first hour. Oh, you don't pray for an hour? Hmm. Listen, when you look at the future, you've got to think about what needs to be done and how it can be done. Okay, how do I get it done now? All right, so that you're ready when the opportunity comes. Those of you who have known me for a long time ought to know this. Listen, you should look around right now and say, there's a lot to do. Why? Evangelizing and edifying? Look around. I think there's a lot to do. You know what? We've read Nehemiah. I'm going to share with you a little more about Nehemiah. He's a personal favorite of mine. He knew he had a ministry. He knew there was something for him to do. Okay, so he goes to the king. He says, king, my people have a problem. Uh, They need their city rebuilt and and they need a wall around their city to be rebuilt and I want to do it. Why? I know how to do it. 
And I need your permission to go do it. Guess what? He got permission. He got permission. Listen, if you're going to have a vision for the future, you'll work and plan in the present to make the future a reality if God happens to launch you. I watch people waste time now when they could be preparing for something that God has tried to lay on their hearts and they're ignoring it. So many people miss this today. So many. They never do anything in the present to plan to even prove themselves worthy. They're not doing anything. Why is it common knowledge in the church today that 20% are serving the 80%? Common practice. Common practice. I do not understand why the young people aren't taking the little kids and helping them study the Bible. I don't understand why the older people ain't taking the younger newlyweds and helping them study the Bible. I don't understand that. That drives me crazy. Listen, if you're not useful now, you will never be later. And all the doors that are open, you'll stand there and look at and think, well, I wonder who's supposed to walk through that. William Carey um, was an amazing man. He was a cobbler. No, he didn't make pies. He made shoes. That's what he did. He, he made and, and repaired shoes. And years and years and years, he had a workbench. And across from his workbench was a map of the world. And all he knew is that God had more in plan for him and God helped me to see it. He managed to put away a whole bunch of money. And guess what? He is classified as the man who opened the door to India for all future missionaries. And he spent 18, 20 years making shoes. But he kept looking at that map and he kept weeping and praying that God would use him to reach the world. Fascinating. Fascinating. Let me share you with mine. I came to salvation. Um, and uh, I, I didn't know nothing about the Bible. I mean, I was not raised in the church. Um, I didn't know the difference between, you know, I never did understand why people tell you to read the Bible and they wanted you to start in the middle. I mean, it just seemed, well, read John. John, that's, that don't make sense. And then I read Genesis one time and said, I know why nobody reads that book. <laughs> he begotten, he begotten, he begotten. Who cares? <laughs> I want to share with you something. When I got saved, I didn't know nothing. I knew I needed to be baptized. And uh, that was the first thing on my plate. Uh, so I, so I got, got that accomplished. And then <clears throat> after I got baptized, I asked the pastor, I said, well, what do you want me to do now? I mean, what, what am I supposed to do now? And he said, well, what do you do for a living? At that time, I was in construction. And he says, well, you can be in church maintenance, building maintenance. Oh, cool. But what am I supposed to do now? I mean, I know how to paint and drywall and stuff like that. And I'm thinking that that's not why God gave me a Bible. And he said, well, read John. 
Well, here we go again, reading in the middle of the book. And I, what? What? Okay, so I read John. Now what do you want me to do? Well, the church is going to need a paint job. We're going to need this. We're going to need that. And you know what I learned? And it was very difficult, is that the church wasn't doing what the church was supposed to do. The Great Commission is not to make converts. The Great Commission is to what? Teaching them the things that I have taught you. You know what the church is? Seminary. Well, we teach theology in Sunday school. Yeah, I've heard some of it. I've been in some churches where you listen to what they're teaching in Sunday school and it ought to scare you. But anyway, that's, that's anyway. What, what's going on in Sunday school? Let me give you a text. It comes out of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. And all the people, verse 1, all the people as one man at the square, which is in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra... The priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who would listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden podium which had been made for the purpose. Beside him stood a whole bunch of strange named people. You read them. And on his right hand were some more strange named people. And some more on his left hand. He had a council with him, left and right hand. And Ezra blessed the Lord the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and then they bowed low, and they worshipped the Lord to their faces. Also, Jesha, Bene, Sherebiah, Jamin, and all them people, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law, translating to give the sense so that they understood its reading. You know what my job is? My job is the same one as Ezra's. Read it and make the sense of it. And then when I get done doing that, I read it and I make the sense of it. And then when I get done doing that, I read it and make sense of it. I am looking right now at what? 5,000 years? My job has not changed, nor the tools of my job have changed. I read it and I make the sense of it. Now we read that and we think, why? Well, you know, basically what that is is what is expository preaching. It's defined. But here's the thing that we miss. Okay? And I guarantee you this. And I look at my life and where God has put me and what God has got me doing. You could take the top one million things I wanted to be when I grew up. This ain't on the list. Okay? I never, ever, ever would have dreamed this is what I was going to do. Okay? But there's a difference. And it comes out of the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verses 6 through 10. Then Ezra went up from Babylon. Okay, you know what that means. He's a prisoner. He's going up to Babylon. He's a prisoner. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, 
which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord God, Lord his God, was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem on the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. And for the first month he came up to from Babylon and on the first in the fifth month he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of God was upon him okay the good hand of God was upon him the hand of the Lord was upon him the hand this was on the Lord was on him why why Ezra okay read verse 10 for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances to Israel. Okay? When I came to salvation, I realized that the church had lost her first focus to make disciples. And it dawned on me that was a good thing because there wasn't very there were very few people who were actually reading the word of the Lord and teaching it, reading the word and explaining it, making the sense of it. Okay, uh, it's one of the shortcomings of topical preaching. You, you you get a topic and then you go out and usually what it is is you have a belief and you go try to find some scriptures to validate your belief. That was my passion. To get back to the simple thing that we've been called to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them the things that He has taught me. That's not complicated. But it does take work. You have to read this book. And you have to read it over and over again. You know what? Ask yourself in this room right now. Don't raise your hand or anything. How many of you read your Bible from cover to cover? And then I'm going to ask a really stupid question. How many times? Because some of you are old enough to do it more than once. You should have read it multiple times. I've read 1 Corinthians now every day for almost nine years. I'm getting tired of it. <laughs> Time to move on. That's why I think our next book we'll look at is Philemon. It'll, it'll cut my reading down. But I, I share this with you. Now listen, that is... My vision was what? To teach the things that were taught to me. That's my vision. Now listen, there's been some changes in my plan. I never expected to teach pastors. But, you know, hey, what do I know? I never expect to get out of California. No, no. Alive, anyway. But I share these with you because if you're not working now, don't ever have to worry about the future. And I don't care about your vision either. I have a lot of people come tell me what these people, ah, you know, I have this vision and I think you should do it. No. <laughs> You've got a vision, go do it. Why? Paul had a vision and he says, let's do this. And he had a group around him and said, yeah, this is working. 
I know we're on the right track. You can't take an area like what we've invested in 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 Russia. Had two churches when we started. Two churches four years ago. Now we got 17. 17 churches with expositors at the pulpits. I would have never planned that. When we started into Russia five years ago when we came up with this grand plan, we only had two locations in the whole country. And we had two loosely knit groups of churches that we thought we could pull this off. We were going to go to Ufa, we were going to go to Orel. Okay? And the rest of them we weren't even sure about. Okay? We got 21 regions now with 21 coalitions from all over the United States in uh, Eastern and Western Canada. How did that work? Because we had a group of men who came together who had set themselves to know the word of the Lord and to obey its ordinances and to teach others what they have read. And God says, that's exactly what I've been trying to get along to you guys. And you guys have just missed it. See, you train for service is not just a matter of, 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 you know, learning a whole bunch of Bible facts. You know, I remember a guy told me one time a Sunday school teacher is one paragraph ahead of his students. In the teacher's guide. And you wonder why we're reaping what we're reaping. Listen, I know people who know Bible trivia and they're just hanging around waiting for God to drop them out like they're some kind of guru. It is a matter of you being faithful now. You being faithful now. And it's going to start with one simple premise. What does the word of the Lord say? Okay, and I'm not asking what do I say it says. I'm saying, what does it say when you read it? Because if you ain't reading it, guess what? I can guarantee you, you are not doing the Lord's work. You may be busy, but it ain't the Lord's work. Why? How do you evangelize and how do you edify if you don't know what the book says? I hear churches today who are doing nothing but giving pop psychology. And I keep thinking, why would lost people want that? They can get that from Dr. Phil. And you know what? I can sit at home and watch it. And I don't even have to give an offering. Ask the people today who will go to church today, who come out and said that they worship and ask them, how do they know they worship and listen to their answer? Guarantee it's music. And yet Ezra got up, started early in the morning, and preached until noon. Okay? Now, I wonder what his sound system was. Was it digital or analog? How many amps do you need to preach outside of a format that is outside in the open air? I wonder if he was tired. So what's the difference between Ezra and us today? I can tell you what's wrong with it. They don't set themselves to the word, to the law of Moses. They're not looking at the book. How do we plan this? Listen, I'm going to ask you all a question. Very simple. Are you working hard in the presence for the Lord? Right now. Right now. Are you working hard for the Lord? What are you planning to do 
in His work? What are you seeing ahead that is a need to be met in the body of Christ? Where's your part? What are you planning? What is your strategy for reaching anyone, someone? Let me ask you a question. Are you developing your spiritual gift? Strengthening it? Making it more effective? Or are you just floating day by day waiting for God to give you something to do? Because if you are, you'll never do it because you don't have a view for the future. And if you're going to do the Lord's work, the Lord's way, you have a vision. You see what is lacking and you see how you fulfill what is lacking. All right. And if our work is basically evangelism and edification, then I have got to be in the book. Listen, there are a lot of good books about the book out there. But you'll waste your time in those. You know, I, 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 I have people say, well, you know, I think I should teach something. What do you think I should teach? Well, you got 66 books to pick from. You have unlimited resources. Well, I, I should get somebody's study guide. Well, then me and you need to sit down and discuss it. Because I don't believe so. I think God give you a study guide. But you've got to give yourself to it. And I just don't see that happening. We want to hire ministers. Let me hire someone to minister. And that's where we're going wrong. What are you planning to do? What do you see ahead? What is your part? What are you planning? And what strategy do you have to reach people? And are you delivering your gift or are you just floating? That's part of the Lord's work, the Lord's way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you that you have given us a high privilege, a high calling of, of taking the gospel to men and women, not only in our community, in our neighborhood, uh, but in our places of work, Father, to loved ones, to siblings, to relatives, to Father, even strangers. And then, Father, you've even graced this fellowship to reach globally. Help us, Lord. Help us to keep the task at hand in an eagerness. And yet, Father, help us have the view to look ahead. Father, help us to be found worthy of our calling. Help us to uh, hunger and thirst for your righteousness and your kingdom. Help us, Father, to seek your face, that we may know you, the power of your suffering. Lord, I, I lift this body to you, that we would be eager, attentive, doing the things that you have called us all to. May we reach that that is lost. And Father, strengthen that that you have given us. In Christ's name, amen.